We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 265 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Hilton, and today I've got Lavon, better known as Barcelona, with me again to answer some listener questions, better known as La Ronda. Lavon, I don't think you've ever been in the torture chamber that is our listener questions from the closed Facebook group, but I think from your past experiences, I'd say you're pretty prepared and you're ready to go. I love questions. Yeah, I'm not whether worried. I an answer, whether I have an answer or not, I love them. That is true. That is true. Yeah, uh, Levon very much in a very Frances way. He feels the answer in his heart, and that's that's when it comes out. <laughs> that's not always a good thing, but yeah, it's true. Well, let's start with an easy one. I, I think from Domingos is Honda Oriana or Nico the next defensive midfield player? And I think this one has a. It, it's so early, still in the off season, Levon, that I think there's some there's some domino effects still left to go. I, I don't think we can really. Properly, I mean, you can answer the question, but I don't know if we can properly answer it until we know more about what the squad is going to look like next year. First of all, I don't think that you know what a player will uh, turn out like until he makes that jump to the first team. Hmm. Um, so uh, watching youth players or young players do very well in Segunda B uh, does not guarantee success. We have seen this with uh, highly touted talents that have come through the system uh, and have even had like hopeful first couple of seasons in our club, you know, think about Boyan Krikic, for for example, or Mark Batra. Um, those guys were in the first team for a couple of seasons before, uh, you know what, they're not good enough. Having said that, I do believe that Nico pretty much earned the defensive midfield spot under, um, uh, under Pimienta, right? So if what we have seen last season is something that we need to uh, go on, I would say that that spot is Nico's to lose, or at least the com- competition between those two is Nico's to lose. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I think all reports are that Hunter will be, he was a Barca B captain already at the age of 20. He was the youngest of the four captains, and he'll probably be a captain, well, most likely definitely be a captain next year for Barca B if he's still at the club. And then reportedly he will not be in preseason, that being Hondro, but Nico will be in the first team preseason to try to get himself fun, some kind of playing time and put himself on the map. And we knew that it has come out that, that Kuman likes him. I think the bigger picture here, though, before you talk about Hondro or Nico next year and what role, I, I think we're, dead, again, speaking about Nico Gonzalez, what role will he have in the first team? That is all constituted on the fact that Barca is clearly looking for another midfielder. I wrote something for Barca blog yesterday or two days ago about this, about the fact that Wijnaldum, there was some truth to those rumors. Obviously, Barca wanted Wijnaldum for XYZ reasons. We've also heard now in the rumor mill, as always, Fabian Ruiz. This week, he was Donny van de Beek and Steven Kuzner had asked, is Van de Beek a legit possibility? Quickly answer that listener question. No, he isn't because he still has, there's still money on his contract. There's still years on his contract. He signed for Manchester United last year. And so, no. But what those rumors do tell me is that Barca are looking for, they think that they're one midfielder short. And at this juncture, if they're not able to find that player, if Wijnaldum was their make it or break it player and they decide not to sign other midfielder, then Nico is a break glass in case of emergency type of player, just as Elash was last year when Pjanic wasn't working out. So I think it comes into whether or not 
Barcelona find that extra midfielder that I think clearly they're looking for in a certain type of profile. If they find him and they're getting him for either a free transfer or for a little bit of money, well, then Nico, again, goes down the depth chart and is probably in Barca B next year. But if not, that means he could get first team opportunities. Yeah, I, I think Van der Bay could be an interesting fit, uh, actually. Um, so if they could work out some kind of trade deal and send, say, Pjanic to Manchester United. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Who might, who might add something to that team and the bake to Barcelona, because for some mysterious reason, uh, the bake doesn't get any minutes there at all. His signing no. for Manchester United never made sense to me. No, I, yeah, I agree. N- neither does it make sense that they don't play him at all because he's too good of a player not, not to play at all. So who knows, like, something might happen. I do think that Kuman wants a more experienced midfielder in, in the mix that we have right now, rather than promote another youth guy besides Elix. And uh, if um, the reports are true, Ricky Push is also guaranteed more playing time uh, next season, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I think we unfortunately are kind of throwing out Carlos Alenia who is now reportedly potentially getting looked at by Granada. They have a new manager, Roberto Moreno. So we'll, we'll have to see. Again, we're not sure what the squad will look like. So uh, guessing what the, what, eighth or ninth midfielder on the depth chart, who that will be, is difficult because you, you just don't know. And speaking of depth charts, Part asked, Kuman really wants to use a left-footed center back. Does that make Langley's position untouchable? Um, yeah, I think we touched on this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, if Kuman plays three in the back, then you absolutely need uh, a center back. Now, if Laporte comes from, uh, joins us from Manchester City, then Longley is not untouchable. But if that competition is between Longley and anybody else, really, because I think even if Ultiti stays, he'll just be sent to the, to the stands by presidential decree, then Longley's position in a three-man backline will be untouchable because on the left, with three men in the back, you cannot play with a right-footed player. That is suicide. The angles don't work out. Uh, Those passes will be way too awkward. So yeah, there you have it. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is the same thing with Americ Laporte, where just like Donny van de Beek, is a player of that profile possible for what Barcelona have to pay for what they have in their ledger? Not really. But if you do have a player that wants out and wants away, so Laporta, uh, Laporte himself did come on Twitter and, and shot down a rumor that there was associated, you know, Barca was associated with, uh, you know, potentially with the agent or there were talks or whatever. He shot that down. But what is true from all that statement is that Barcelona are clearly in the market because he's not the first one to be linked with this. I mean, and Delict oddly enough, is right-footed, not left-footed, but he does play on the left a lot. But as you said, it's they want a, a left-foot dominant center back. All that said, yeah, the, the, the truth is that with Langley questionable, with Umtiti certainly with one foot already out of the club, if the club can put both hands on his back and <laughs> manage to push him the rest of the way out the door, that Barca want and need a left-footed center back. And even in the B team, as we've spoken about, Arnold Comas is probably the next man up. He is right-footed. And then Ramos Mingo is a left-footed center back, but he's also just 19 or just turned 20 and not ready yet. So it's it's not like they would throw him in the deep end in any instance. But the truth is that Barcelona want a left-footed center back. And the other thing I bring up, unlike a midfielder who's going to do all the things that Kumin might want him to do, like a Wijnaldum, like a Danny Vindebeek, who can be offensive, can be defensive, just kind of shuttles the ball around. What's the market for left-footed center backs right now? I mean, how many are even available? And I think that's unlike the midfield position where they can kind of look to the final hour the left-footed center back market at for players who could potentially play for Barcelona who are going to be better than Clement Langley, that's a very, very, very short list. Agreed. And also, even though Langley was extremely frustrating last season, um, that does not necessarily mean that he will be as poor next season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It was, it was, it was rough. I mean, he made what Oof. he made five solo. He made five individual mistakes that directly led to gold, which was most in the Liga. And the total that he'd made is an entire career so far. He'd never yeah. made five individual mistakes to lead to goals in the, in the way that they're credited with that. It is kind of an archaic metric. But anyway, I mean, it's, 
is almost statistically on he is only 20 what 26 he turned happy birthday to him yesterday but yeah so 26 he turned yesterday and yeah for up to that point to have been so spotless if you will defensively now as I mentioned before with Langley I'd love if he moved the ball better and I think Barcelona would like to play a certain way so they want he's not going to change the way he plays the ball on the ground and break lines it's, it's just not going to happen for him but yeah I mean with left-footed center backs if he bounced back to even 70% of what we know he's capable of, and those numbers as far as making mistakes are cut down, and Barca could do worse than having Lele next year. Yeah. And even if it's for debt reasons, uh, unless you get a really good offer for him, uh, you probably want to keep him. Uh, the irony is that if you put Langley in a system where um, the defense can sit back a little bit more, then he becomes an extremely good defender. Mm-hmm. We saw that in the first season that he came where uh, where um, Ernesto Valverde played 4-4-2 and allowed the team to to soak up the pressure on defense. And Longley was excellent. But for a more offensive foul, um, he struggles a bit. He struggles with all of the all the space behind behind them as well. But let's see what happens. I mean, we even saw in El Clasico where Bar- Real Madrid's game plan was to force him into that channel for him to shoot. And just having a player to be able to shoot in that circumstance would be helpful. I mean, having a defensive midfielder to shoot in that position would have been helpful as well. But yeah, we're going to keep talking about defenders. I guess this is an easy one for you. Edwin asks you, Levan, who is Barca's best defender at the moment? I mean, our best defender overall is probably Jordi Alma as a football player. Um, our best defender defensively is uh, Araujo. Uh, it's just extremely uh, impressive how he closes down uh, space, how he recovers, how he owns his opponents in, in one-on-ones, how strong he is in the air. Our best defender on the ball might very well be Eric Garcia, who's yeah. coming in on a good day. PK is still the best defender because he kind of combines uh, a lot of things except speed. Our problem is is that even our defenders who excel at something have other weaknesses. So Araujo is amazing defensively, but he's really not good on the ball. Eric Garcia is amazing on the ball, but he's really not strong in the air. My favorite defender last season was when Frenkie de Jong played in defense because he had it all. And I would have liked to see that continue, especially in the in a three-man backline. I would love to see uh, de Jong play the play the free ball in that defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol, or Piquet and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. 
So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I mean, that would make sense too if another midfielder is that final addition, if you will, aside from Memphis Dubai, who's not been announced yet. Yeah, interesting. I mean, could one of those center backs be, and this is tongue-in-cheek, of course, but Richard asks, slightly on a tangent, but does Sergio Ramos leaving Madrid help or hinder Barca's chances heading into next season's Clásicos? Obviously, he had become a fading force of the player, but still exerted a strong influence on their mindset in games. Um, and before you answer this, Levon, I think the one addendum I want to add, too, is that, remember, Zidane is out and Ancelotti is in. So not only is that captain voice gone, but also the manager that seemed to convince his team that every match was a final is also out of that locker room to be replaced by a voice that, you know, the likes of Marcelo have heard before, who is now the new captain, by the way. Mm. Marcelo is the new captain. I didn't know that. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> Glad I could give really? you that breaking news here. <laughs> Marcelo is the new captain. Yeah. Um, oh, well. Um, I, I think that for Madrid, Militao and Alaba, is probably an upgrade on Sergio Ramos and Varane. The, the deal breaker there is if Varane leaves and they don't replace him, then that leaves them with very little debt. So if uh, one of Militao or Lava have an injury, then the drop in quality is significant. So it would really surprise me if they let Varane go. Sergio Ramos, I mean, he's 35 years old, will turn 36 over the course of, uh, of the season. You know, that's, that's the way things go. Everybody will retire at some point. Um, Messi has been here for as long as some Kules can remember, I'm sure. My memory goes back further than Messi, but even for me, like, you know, he's been here for about the last 12, 13, 14 years already. And he will also at some point leave, right? And the, the same with Ramos. Uh, I think maybe it will hurt them in some of the big matches, but over the course of the season where he does not always play very well, he does not always defend very well, uh, maybe it will help them. Well, I think that was some of the irony, too, of Real Madrid over the last few seasons, that he and some others showed up in big matches for them, when if you watch Real Madrid week in and week out, they haven't really been a successful team. They're not a team that looks like they're going to win every match every week. And yet the likes of, I mean, again, Karim Benzema, Cristiano Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos, they would show up in the big matches when they needed to, and that would be all the difference. And then they'd get the three points when they needed, or they'd more likely win that Champions League match in whatever way they had to and get that over the line. And again, Zidane is the, the right manager for those moments. So yeah, it is interesting to see. And I'm, I'm curious to know how Real Madrid as a team, as, as a squad built in the way that they are, how they're going to deal with that almost difference in philosophy of now becoming more like a Barcelona where, hey, we need to be the best team every week, week in and week out to build up to the point where we win those one-off matches. Because again, with Marcelo as your captain, I, yeah, you do kind of wonder, do they have the mindset? Do they have that killer instinct that's going to be required? And I mean, Benzema is still floating around too. He hasn't gone anywhere. So even though Marcelo might have in the armband this coming season, Benzema is the most important player for Real Madrid still. Uh, and if Ancelotti gets the best out of him, then you know they're in a good spot to contend as they always do for every title. Right. The other thing is that Marcelo is not even their best left back. No. So mo most games, he's not going to be the captain because he won't be on the pitch. Right. It'll be Modric or Cruz. I mean, guys, it, it've been around a long yeah. time. I mean, the same thing. Casemiro will probably wear it occasionally, which is, yeah. Th that will be a good captain for them. I honestly. know. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how I know he's good because you say that and I go, bleh, bleh. <laughs> Yeah. I, I actually, I, I admire him for yeah. always getting away with those fouls. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Every referee knows that he fouls. 
But it's not just it's not just in Spain where you can say, ah, okay, there's some Madrid bias because of most of the referees being from, uh, let's say, Spain, Spain. Mm -hmm. And outside of Catalonia, uh, in a lot of regions, Madrid is by far the more popular of the two teams. And he still gets away with it. But also in Europe, where you would say, well, how come he's still on the pitch? How come referees forgive him? How come this guy of all guys gets the benefit of the doubt? Because we know that referees study players. They study players. They study their mannerisms. They study the way they, the way they play, the fouls they make. They study whether they dive a lot or not. How is it possible that... Casemiro always gets away with with his fouls. It's it's incredible. It's an art. Why well, I think Bordelas kind of answered this in a press conference. Was it a year or two ago? And in the NBA, I've been watching the playoffs and watching PJ Tucker on Kevin Durant. I think is the same answer here. That they in the first five minutes of the match they set a precedent that can exist throughout that match where every match is officiated, every game in the NBA is officiated differently. So if P.J. Tucker comes out and that ref doesn't call that initial foul and immediately put him in, in foul trouble with two quick fouls on, for his physicality, then that sets the precedent for what is allowed in that particular game. And Casemiro, every match, you watch between the first two to seven minutes of that match, he sets a precedent of the physicality of how that match is going to go. And it might not even be him. It might be set by Militao. It might be set by somebody that even gets a yellow card. But a ref is uncomfortable to give a yellow card out in the first two to five minutes. But once that precedent is sent, whether the yellow card is out, now you've got a wild game on your hands, good luck to you, referee, or by not giving it out, it's told you what's okay in that match. And Casemiro is absolutely correct. One of the best in the world at dictating how the referee now has to be almost in competition with himself on how he's going to judge that match. And again, in the NBA, the smart defenders, the ones who, is it a little dirty? Yeah. Is it too physical? Yes. And I think Barcelona not really having a player that does that, I, I think is, I mean, for better or worse, for better or worse, that Barca don't really have a player that necessarily leads into what you call the dark arts. I mean, Arturo Vidal used to do it. That, that's a player that did it. He's, he did it for Chile. I mean, I don't know how much he did it for Barca, but you watch his time at Bayern Munich, he did it. You watch him with Juventus, he did it. I mean, Chile in particular. I mean, I know you were watching Copa America, but Argentina, Chile. I mean, Arturo Vidal in the first in the first five minutes, he took out he took out um, Rodrigo De Paul, and he's like, okay, so this is the match that this is going to be. We know each other. We don't need the referee. We're going to just play this match regardless of what the referee thinks about this. Yeah, but South Americans just play the game in a different way. I know. Uh, so what what is a foul in Europe in South America is looked at differently, and it's the same when when I play football with European people or South American people. Uh, the intensity is, is, is just different. What I will say about um, about Arturo Vidal is at least in his time in Barca, he did not foul that much. No, no. Yeah, his no. reputation preceded him. I agree. No. And, and he goes for the ball and he gets the ball and sends the opponent flying. But he does not, like he goes for the ball, he does not go for the kneecap. Now, when he plays for Chile, <laughs> yeah, he might yep. go for the kneecap. But in Europe, he, he didn't foul that much. He's just extremely, extremely physical. Um, Carlos Puyol was the same way. Like, he was an extremely tough player, extremely strong in the one-on-one -on -one duels. But he almost never fouled. Are you going to feel that Puyol takes the ball from you? Definitely. But it's never dirty. It's never a foul. I think Casemiro is sneaky. His fouls are never meant to, to really injure somebody. Mm -hmm. um, they're meant to hurt. And he always does it very smartly and very sneakily, but he's he doesn't like go out to to finish somebody's career. Whereas Ramos, for example, we're giving him too much time. Uh, I mean, I would say the inverse of that is for Barcelona in what we've seen from Luis Suarez and Neymar through those years that they do the they do the inverse. Like they set the precedent that hey, you got to call this, and if you're not going to call, you know what I mean. If I'm going to fall down the first ten minutes and you didn't call it. Well, I mean, now I know that it's something that I'm going to have to keep looking for. Or if they're calling a cheap foul on Neymar, hey, I'm going to get that foul. You know what I mean? Now you've got to make sure as that, those fouls escalate, you're going to call every single one of those. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we've done enough on this. So going from Copa America to back to the Euros, Vilmos asked, and we've been breaking it down. Emil and I, we talked about Spain, Argentina. We'll keep, again, keep an eye on Spain, keep an eye on Argentina, keep an eye on the Barca players throughout this for sure. Uh, but Vilmos asked, which team are you supporting at the Euro? So, Levan, yeah, let's get to know you a little bit. Now, I know the answer to this, but our listeners don't. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm Dutch. I lived in Holland until I was 14 before I went to the States. Uh, then I went back to Holland for a while and then 
when I was 20, I, I left again. But um, I'm not Dutch. Like my personality, I, I have some Dutch things, but um, I don't speak Dutch as well as people in Holland. Um, I don't really, I'm not really attached to uh, to Dutch food mostly. I don't watch Dutch television. I don't follow Dutch politics. You ask me who the president is. Um, there are years that I don't even know. I don't read Dutch newspapers, but I do support Holland when, when we play football at the tournaments. Uh, I, I don't follow the qualification football because European qualification football is just, it's pointless. Why would I watch that? But um, during, during the Euros or during the World Cup, I root for Holland. Yeah, so that was expected. I, so that's that's who you're looking at. And of course, little fun Holland fact for you related to Frankie de Jong. He is the player, at least through the first match day. I know we're into match day two now, but he's the player to complete the most dribbles in the tournament with five uh, in that one. And just this morning, Alexander Isak, I think he beat that in just one match. Uh, he had five on it or four or whatever. Or no, it was six. Yeah, six successful dribbles. Six of six in that match didn't Isak. But again, that's another one of those archaic stats. And <laughs> who knows anything about that? And then also in the first match day, this is no surprise as well. With Spain controlling so much of the ball in that first half in particular, Pedri is the only midfielder to register more progressive ball carries than De Jong. So those were the top two in the first match day. Uh, De Jong had 24, and Pedri had 32 progressive ball carries. That is a that is a wild number for an 18-year-old making being the youngest Spain player to debut at the Euros. So Pedri continues to just be special. That's all he is. He, he's special in a lot of different ways. But which team am I supporting? To answer your question quickly, Vilmos, is... I mean, I'm just in basically following the Barca players and I'm enjoying watching things and the storylines. It's good for me because, again, I'm not European. I'm American. So while I have some German origin, I have some English origin, some Irish origin, some Scottish Scottish origin. My, my wife has some Spanish origin. So it's, you know, there's a lot of different teams that I'm watching and enjoying. And then the stories, like, again, Scotland making it after all this time and just hoping they score their first their first tournament goal as we record this with England and Scotland in the background. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I follow the storylines and and. I just want to see exciting things happen. I mean, even even those moments and live in, kind of live and die with the tournaments without having a rooting interest. I think I get to enjoy things like that. So I'm not always supporting anyone. I mean, I always hope Spain does well. And I always hope, you know, with Cristiano Ronaldo at Portugal, I go, I don't know about that. You know, it's one of the only places that I don't have have origins in. And uh, same thing for France. I mean, the France, they're so talented. I, I just want to see it work out well. And uh, yeah, so that's it. Let's Let's shift gears into some more serious content. We're going to talk about forwards now. We've got a bunch of questions about the forward line. Eric asks, what do we think we should do in regards to the attacking players? Griezmann, Dubai, Fati, Messi, Aguero, Trincao, Dembele, Brothwaite. Seems like too many players uh, to him. And Eric, we I think we agree. That seems like a lot of players. So who would you offload assuming Memphis is coming in? And that also depends on whether or not there's two in the front or most likely there's going to be three up top. I think Brothwaite is out. Uh, because I think he will actually leave. He will be convinced. Um, because he just seems like a thoroughly decent person. And if you tell a decent person that you're not going to play with his mindset of having a couple of years football left, he would probably want to go somewhere where he can play. And he'll be grateful for uh, the very unexpected two seasons that he had uh, at Barcelona. Griezmann is not going anywhere. The amount of money on his contract is absurdly high, so uh, there'll be very little takers, uh, and there's still a huge amount of amortization uh, on on his deal for deal for the next three seasons. Also, his wife is Spanish. Um, how many kids does he have? A couple, I think, yeah. who, who are growing up here. So he's so, not going to want to leave Spain. Yeah, explain that to our listeners before you go too far off about the contract, about the amortization. Okay, so we paid 125 million for uh for Griezmann but when a club signs a player uh they don't necessarily like there's there's the cash flow the money that they pay and there's the accounting accounting wise that 125 million is spread out over the years of his contract so what that means is that uh, a player will cost 25 million per year plus his salary plus his agents agent fees i guess spread out over the five years of his contract uh, this also means that if we sell Griezmann after two years we will have accounting-wise paid 25 million for his first year, 25 million for his second year. We sell him. The 75 million that is left of that 125 million transfer fee is going to count as a loss on our books. So that means that we need to sell him for 75 million just to offset the loss. 
it's probably easier when you see it on paper than when I explain it. <laughs> no, no, but that's basically <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it makes sense that there's the cost that I mean, it's it's the same principle that we applied to the Arthur Pianet swap deal as to why that was such a benefit to Barcelona to get rid of Arthur because they were able to bring in that transfer money up front. And as we, you know, this is an oversimplification of it, but that Pianch's deal is over multiple years. So if they're able to get X number back on the back end of that contract. So now they don't have to resell him for 70 million. They just have to sell him for what he's worth over the course of the three years that, or four years that are left on his deal. So yeah, I mean, exactly. that, that, yeah, that makes sense to me. So yeah, just a, that was an explanation on Griezmann and, Barcelona, I mean, Levan has hit it on the head that he's just too expensive, is Griezmann. And with the the economics that are currently going on in the transfer market, PSG and Man City are the only two clubs that could afford him, and they are not purchasing him. So you, you know that Griezmann is going nowhere. Yeah. Nor, nor would he want to go to those places. Right. So that, that's the problem. And the club would need to pay us $75 million and be willing to take on his uh, his salary which is a huge amount for a player who's already 30 years old. Uh, so even if they say, okay, well, let's pay 25 million, we get rid of his salary, it would probably be worth it for us if we can accept the 50 million loss on the books. But still, Griezmann probably don't will not want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do think, however, is that if Kuman wants a midfielder who makes runs into the box, who can pass and combine the ball, and who will be an excellent defender, then he already has that in Griezmann. Yeah. Um, especially if he played a 3-5-2, because our 3-5-2 worked best when we had Fra- Frankie de Jong in the back line and when we had Griezmann playing behind Messi and Dembele. So I think that could be a solution for, for Griezmann. Then who do we have left? Uh, Dembele. Will he stay? Will he go? We just don't know. Um, I would want to renew him because he, even though he's inconsistent, um, he's got so much talent and also for very selfish reasons when I go to the stadium um, I love to see players like like Dembele I know he doesn't always play well I know he can be frustrating but in today's football where everything is so robotic mm-hmm. and everybody always does what they're supposed to do Dembele is just so much more fun than 99% of the other players out there so um, for a very selfish reason as a spectator I, I like to to have a player like that on our team Depay is signing very smartly for two seasons, which kind of, you know, I would like to sign him for five seasons because part of my reasons for wanting to sign him is, hey, if it doesn't work out, we can sell him after two seasons. I guess that's not going to happen. So smart move on his part, but he will probably um, improve our squad, even though, uh, like we saw yesterday, he does not always play very well. When he's on, he's on. But when he's off, oh boy, he's off. The, The biggest factor is Ansu Fati. Yeah, that was, that's where I was going to go with this. That Tereshuk asked, how can you play Griezmann in Dubai in the same starting 11? Uh, and Levan, if, if it's Griezmann in the midfield, I think you deserve a lot of credit. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much Barca listens to our podcast, but I can say that uh, Griezmann as a midfielder has been a Levan idea uh, that I think would also, again, support that, I, that notion that we saw that Dembele was kind of forced to play a false nine at times this year. And now imagine Memphis Depay in that position, a player who's much more comfortable taking on that role alongside Messi. So that is, I think, the only way that Depay, Messi, and Griezmann will work together. Um, all that said, I think you almost kind of throw part of that out the window because, yes, Dembele's contract, I think, seems to be the domino effect on whether or not, I mean, Trincao sounds like he's not going to be sold, though he very well is probably going to be loaned out just because for his development, it doesn't make any sense as a player. And also to have him even in the squad, it doesn't make any sense to put a 21 year old across 30, 35 million euros, have him sit on the bench for a whole year. doesn't make any sense. And then Aguero is also floating out there, but we've talked about him in the past. We've talked about how many, the expectations for him. And I think his role for Argentina is actually very similar to what he's going to be doing for Barca. That's just who he is now at this age. Um, but yes, the Fati health is the other big question. I said on Monday show, if Fati is hundred percent, I'm starting Fati over Depay 10 out of 10 times, if Fati is 100%. But is Fati 100%? We got a lot of questions on what's the progress. It seems like he will be healthy for the season. He will most likely take it slow in preseason. It's going to take a little while to get up to, to, to 10th gear or whatever it, t- it takes him to get back. It's In today's day and age, it is not crazy to think that a player that young is going to be able to come back to be 98% of what he was. That's not a crazy notion. I mean, again, to go to the NBA... I mean, Kevin Durant played 48 minutes two nights ago, 48 the entire game when he tore his Achilles even a year ago, 
right? And right. you remember the Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, when he rolled his ankle, he was never the same. And that was just a sprained ankle, an extremely terrible sprained ankle. And that ruined his career in what, what, he, what he, was it 1990 or 1991 when that happened? And now Kevin Durant at the age of 31 tears his Achilles, which ends careers over the, I mean, and he's seven feet tall and he comes back and he's able to play 48 minutes. I mean, he's also superhuman. So not every player is like that, but Fadi seems to have, I mean, to be able to debut and do what he did at 16, there are things going on in his body that are not going on in my body or Levon's body or most likely our listener's body. It's a, he is a different level athlete. So I think of all these, I mean, so many of the players that I think that if, if Busquets had had that same injury at 18, I'm not sure if he gets back to be 99% of what he was just because of, again, like what he's made up as an, you know, he's very durable as an athlete. He does a lot of different things, but he just doesn't have that, the, the ability that Fatih had even to recover from. Would you know that he had a broken leg? What was it? Three years ago when he was in the academy? Yeah. No. Because he's recovered completely and fully from that. So yes, Fatih's health, a major question. Uh, and I think that dictates where everyone else on that forward line goes. I mean, even if Fatih's 100%, Dembele might be looking around in January, depending on how much Kuman is playing to pie and what that starting lineup was. Dembele might just think, hey, I'm not going to go along with my contract. But if you want to sell me, sell me now in January or sell me next summer so you get something for me or else I'm just going to leave on a free transfer. Well, I think that Dembélé, they'll tell him this summer, hey, either you go or you spend the whole year in the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we actually have a president who has the heart or the strength <laughs> yeah. to do this. I, w- I was going to say another body part. but Fortitude. Um, fortitude is the word. <laughs> fortitude, ah, fortitude. Very nice. So I also think, however, that if Dembélé renews, that besides Messi, if you want to play Messi as a false nine, which you might want to do just so that, you know, uh, our defense we can cover for him on defense then we don't have anybody who is as good as Dembele on the right the pie sure. does not play on the right he can play fr- starting from the left or you can play him as a nine on the right he's not that comfortable I suppose you can put Griezmann on the on, on the right but if you put Griezmann on the right he's, go- he's going to make a lot of the same mo- movements that Messi already makes so that, um, that's not going to combine very well uh, you're not going to play Fatih on the right you're going to play Fatih on the left or as a nine Aguero for the times that he comes on He'll be a nine. Um, Trincao, probably not going to stay because we also have Collao. Mm-hmm. And Collado plays best on the right, but Dembele is still a lot better than, than Collao at this time. So we'll see. I think another thing that you can you can do is say you can play Messi behind Griezmann and Depay, for example. Or you can play Messi on the right and Depay on the left. Griezmann in the middle and have especially uh, the, the pie and Griezmann they can change positions a lot because both of them like to drop back but both of them also make vertical runs so I think they, they can create interesting movements together when, when they play together there's just a whole lot of combinations possible and I hope that Kuman rotates a lot as well because I'm a fan of rotation yeah I mean I think the final big question I mean I, I feel like after 265 episodes one of the themes is that we tend to talk about Messi last. We bring up Messi last because he just seems like this inevitable thing that exists, right? That he's just going to always be starting. He's going to play 90 minutes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And he's always going to be there, as you, you said with the answer to the first question. And it's very likely, and we're expecting him to be there next season. But as far as even Dembele, what happens if you sell Dembele in January next summer and then Messi's gone anyway, and now you're left with Griezmann, and, I mean, God forbid, Fatih isn't 100%, right? So now you've got 60% of Fatih, no Messi, Griezmann, Depay for one more year, you just sold Dembele, and now Messi's gone, right? And then Aguero has one more year left, and we'll see what, right? So it's very, very easily you could descend into this apocalyptic, you know, cataclysm of forwards very, very quickly. Um, but, again, there's still plenty of time, and a lot will change till then. So Right, and just to add to that, what we also see a lot, once players are 34, 35, 36, all of a sudden, they are injured for half of the season. Yeah. Sergio Ramos is a very good example of this. PK last year. Yeah, PK. Uh, Puyol. Well, Puyol has like an injury map that is uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, populated. Yeah. But there is also that risk where, you know, Messi will be 34, and the season after that, 35, even if he renews, is not guaranteed that we're actually going to see him for two full seasons. So on the, on the Fatih point, uh, on the Fatih point, rather, 
Uh, Alex did ask on a scale of 1 to 10, what's the concern level with Fati being the same player again? I say the concern level is, I mean, I still go with like a 7 out of 10 that I'm concerned that he'll never be the same player again. It's just, it's a difficult injury that even with modern science, but Fati was so good that even 70% of what Fati was is still a player good enough to play for FC Barcelona and play anywhere in the world. So my concern level is 7, that he'll be the same player, but if what's my concern that he'll ever be able to come back and be a contributor at FC Barcelona, my concern level is a 2, because I do trust that he's going to be able to contribute down the road. 7-11. Your concern level is 11, that he'll never be the same player again. My concern level is 11, that he will never have a career. Wow. At, at, at a top club. At that age, he already came back from uh, a broken leg um, when he was 15, I believe. Uh, and now this, this knee injury that, according to which report is true, either required three or four surgeries. And there are reports that um, the, the nature of that injury is uh, very similar to Umtiti's knee injury, where it's something that, you know, that just really impacted Umtiti a lot and destroyed his career. So my my concern level is extremely high. And yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think something a, a little, I mean, maybe also still depressing, but George asked, do you think we will be able to sell the likes of Brothwaite? Uh, he said Griezmann, but we've already answered that. But Brothwaite, Lengley, Umtiti, Coutinho, uh, we know what the list is. Junior Firpo, you, you know what you know what the list is. But uh, how likely do you think, even Pjanic, how likely do you think those sales are going to happen? I mean, my answer on previous shows has been that take the list of players that the club has kind of said that they want to get rid of and show, cut that list in half, right? Because they're going to probably be able to sell three to four, or I mean, in a, on a, on a, if things get lucky with the market, then maybe five players. But the list is what eight or nine. It, it's they're never going to sell the nine players that you expect them to sell. But I mean, it's you kind of almost have to pick and choose which ones they're going to be. You know, my liquor cabinet is right, right there. Right. So maybe we should stop the podcast and I just start drinking. <laughs> um, so the, the latest rumor regarding Pjanic is that we are going to send him back on loan to Juventus <laughs> and we will pay part of his salary. So that's how bad this is looking. I think we will be able to um, sell Braithwaite. We're not going to get money for him, but we can offload him, uh, maybe for a nominal fee. Uh, I think we can sell uh, Junior Firpo, even though, from what I understand, teams are just trying to get him on loan. The same for Alinya. We'll probably be able to sell him for $10 million. I think he's uh, very talented. And uh, had we had maybe Kuman three or three years ago instead of Balverde, he would have gotten a chance. Uh, but his chance is gone because he had several loans now. Um, he's getting older. He just needs to go somewhere and play. We have uh, other young players coming through. We could sell Pius. We could sell Elix. Those players have a strong market. We could sell Dest, Emerson, uh, Araujo. You keep naming players um, I don't we, want to sell. We, we, we could sell Ansu <laughs> I know what Ansu you're doing, Levan. <laughs> All the players that we do not want to sell yeah. are players that we could sell. All the players that we want to sell are players that we cannot sell for the same reason that we want to sell them. They're too expensive, they have too high salary, and they're not good enough uh, for the salary that they're earning. So would you buy that? Would you sign Umtiti and pay too much? No. You wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, you need desperation. And in this market, it's hard to think that... I mean, there are clubs desperate for talent, but how many clubs are desperate with deep pockets? The answer is zero. There, there are no clubs who have the kind of money to spend on Nintiti. Because, yeah, you'd say, oh, it'd be great for him to go back to Ligue 1. But look at the center-back pairings of every team in Ligue 1. Most likely, in I mean, for what? 70% of the teams in that first division in, in France you have at least one of the two center backs is 19 to 22 years old and is likely going to be sold or bought by, I mean, bought by Arsenal or Brighton and Hove or whoever it may be, right? Or, or Borussia Dortmund or whoever, you know, someone's going to come calling for 70% of those 19 to 22 year old French center backs because there's just, I mean, so to think that Umtiti's going to be able to just return home because Lyon is desperate for him. No, Lyon have like 
three or four center backs under the age of 25 who are a third of the price. So, right? So there's no homecoming. There's no magical uh, box to put them back in. And yeah, you're right. You, I think you upset enough of our listeners, Levon, about the names that you threw out there to sell. But that's true. It's, it's a true statement. I think you got your point across that even Trincao, as we said, Trincao might be, I think he might be the player that Barcelona are willing to get rid of that has the most market value at the moment. I think he might actually be that one player that fits both those categories. Yeah, exactly. And uh, especially if we are talking trade, I think if we see a player that... Um that can add to our squad and make our strong squad stronger, then Trincao is the kind of young, talented player that uh, would interest another club uh, to take, take on in a trade. So we got two quick questions more as we wind this one down. Khaled asks, do you think Xavi needs to take on Barca B or a bigger team in Europe before becoming the Barcelona coach? Preferably, yes. Of course. Uh, right now, he's in an environment where he's not challenged. Uh, he is basically teaching a team of players what he knows instead of going somewhere to learn what he doesn't know yet. He, his assistant manager is his brother, for crying out loud. Uh, I would even say, that ideally, he does not just go to Barca B. He also goes to other countries that actually have uh, a stronger football culture for him to learn from. Uh, people point at Pep and say, well, Pep only went to Barca B, but no. Pep actually left Barcelona. Then he went to Italy. Uh, he went to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, he also went to Qatar for a season, I think. Uh, so Pep actually went on this Odyssey where he learned about football from, uh, from another source than Barcelona. Uh, Xavi has... Dr- has drunk from the Barcelona source his whole life from the Barcelona fountain. Uh, and now he goes out and he shares what he has learned. I would like for him, uh, for his ideas, to be challenged before he comes back to Barcelona. And of course, we all know that uh, he, his football mind is incredible. And he will coach the Barca way. And I'm not saying that, you know, if he comes here straight from Qatar, that he's going to fail. But if you ask me between... Xavi coming straight back to Barcelona or Xavi taking a couple of years to actually become a better coach before coming to Barcelona, I would take take that second option, both for us and for him. Yeah, a reminder that he is just three years out of being a professional. So it's not like he's, there's time. There's time for him to, to be the best coach he can be because a, a lot of times you do see managers make that mistake. I mean, we're watching, I feel like we're watching with Andre Pirlo at Juventus at the moment that Pirlo was probably going to be a top, top manager because he has a top, top football mind. But he jumped right into that job. And you wonder, was that a little too soon? And then what happens to Pirlo? Because then after you fail at your dream job at the age of, what is it, 39 or 40 or 41, 42, now you make that odyssey. And then it takes you a long, long time, Ancelotti, to get back. I mean, look at Ancelotti, mm-hmm. how, how long, in the, I mean, look at all the bad stops he had as he began to be a manager. And now look at the refined and well-respected manager that he is after, was it now he's three and a half decades or whatever it is that he's, yeah. that he's had good stops and bad stops, but he gets a Real Madrid job because he's proven that he can have those kind of jobs, but he's now a fully foreign version of himself. Uh, and he's learned all the things that he needed to learn with those lessons along the way. So, um, exactly. yeah, do you, yeah. Clarence Seedorf is another example because he was playing in Brazil. He was very happy to play in Brazil. I thought that was a beautiful move for somebody to go from Milan to say, you know what, I'm going to try a different football culture where I'm not going to make as much money, but I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm just going to live this, this experience. He went to play for Botafogo. If you look at his highlights in Botafogo at 36 year old, years old, he looked like Maradona with the goals that he scored. But then midway through the season, Milan said, well, hey, we need a coach. Come and coach us. And for Sedorf, that was his dream club, uh, dream job because he played at Milan for so long. Uh, he goes to Milan, fails horribly, mm-hmm. and now he's lucky if he can get a job coaching in Segunda B. Yeah, I mean, we saw him now bounce around, I think, in the second division of the Netherlands, even, where he was in the first division. Yeah. I'm tr- it was a PSV, I think he had that job, and lost that job. But yeah, so uh, interesting. about Yeah, about the coaching journey, and yeah, I mean, Pep's story, as always, is, is the one that 
people look to as the most successful one. It's the beacon of how you're supposed to do things. And uh, I, there are definitely different roads to take. It doesn't always, to be a great manager, you don't have to just follow what Pep Guardiola did to be a great manager at Barcelona. That's not how it works. And as football changes and as the game, tactics change along with it. So the way that Pep learned may not be the right way for Xavi to learn. Even watching the Euro, I was thinking, watching Italy, that you and I were, actually, you and I were going back and forth about on WhatsApp, that we got in our head because I think you and I started watching football. I mean, you started earlier than me, but as I'm watching Serie A in the 90s, or as I'm watching the, the great Italian teams, I mean, doing well in, in European in competitions or in the World Cup in the 1990s, that's what Serie A football was, right? Serie A football is Paolo Maldini and shut everything down and it's tough and it's, it's, it's going to be defensive. And that's what Italian football is. And I, the idea of what Italian football was has persisted now for almost 30 years. But you look at how the way Italy plays now. And then you look at some of the most successful teams in Italy. Atalanta, Napoli, AC Milan, even Juventus. They're not playing the way that we thought they were anymore. And now watching the Italian national team be the culmination of the fact that Syria and Italy aren't what you think it is. Is it the same level as the Premier League? No, they're different. Is it the same thing as La Liga? No, they're different. And the ideas that we have, like there, there are maybe baseline generalizations we can make about La Liga where do those teams play the ball better than the Premier League? Yeah, they do. I mean, it's just uh, across the, across the, and it's not for everybody, Hadafe, but <laughs> across the, the spectrum, La Liga teams are expected to play the ball and want the ball more than a team like, uh, from the Bundesliga, who are willing to just sit back and, and gag and press, which became the, the hot thing to do uh, after Jurgen Klopp. And Bayern Munich does it better than any other team in the world. They high press. Um, so, yeah, I think we just need to, even when talking about Xavi and coaching, we need to deconstruct what we think that football tactics are and what we think that going to a certain place means for your footballing philosophy. Italy is not... You can learn a lot of things in Italy, not just how to be defensive like Paolo Maldini. And I think I just want people to just explore a little bit beyond what they know and what they're what is entrenched in what they believe football to be in certain places. Exactly. And another point is it's okay if he goes to Italy or if he goes to Germany or if he goes takes another club in Spain. It's it's okay if he goes there and fails. Barcelona is still going to take him. <laughs> That's true. You know, uh, and uh, Luis Enrique failed terribly at uh, at Roma and then he came to Barcelona won the travel and do you do you remember the press release i remember the press release that they talked nothing of roma everything was about his experience with celta de vigo everything was about how he succeeded with celta de vigo and it was oh but roma also happened he also went there but now he comes from barcelona after being so successful in the league with celta de vigo um, of course yeah, yeah but uh, this is even like if if today you look at sports and mundo deportivo uh, everything is about how uh, how the led holland with a goal and um a pre-assist but if you watched the game yesterday i don't know if you did yep for our listeners his hands are over his face he was terrible. <laughs> he, he 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 was terrible. And then if I if I go on, if I browse the web and I check the the Catalan dailies, he was the man of the match. He was brilliant. He's the star of the show. Um, so yeah, news here is not necessarily news. It's more special interest. Well, speaking of making news, last question. This is going to have to be a sentence. We unfortunately we could probably have this be the main topic of a whole show. But Nicholas asked, very recently, the first 100 days of Laporta's new term had passed. What do you think of this first crucial period of his? I, it's, I guess the better way to ask this question, for time's sake, would be, Levon, what is the one thing that has stuck out, either good or bad, from his first 100 days from you? Uh, I mean, we, I mean, with, in the U.S., we do the same thing. There's this landmark thing about the U.S. president. They're 100 days, the promises they made in 100 days. So what do you think of Laporta and the promises he made and what he was able to do in his first 100 days? Not so much what he did, but what stands out is just uh, the general optimism around the club. That, that has changed a lot since Laporta took over, and that, that is very nice. What he did, however, he changed, the stat he changed some, of the, some club rule so that he could give a job to his sister. He signed a 33-year-old striker who never played well with Messi, even when they were both in their prime. He signed a player who we were going to get anyway, regardless of who would have won the elections. So uh, what he did has not terribly impressed me, but the sensations, the feeling that we have are positive. So uh, 
let, let's hope that we carry that positivity uh, forward. And, uh, you know, there's such a long road ahead because the club is such a mess, which is Bartomeu's mm-hmm. fault. But it's a bigger mess than the one that Laporta inherited from Gaspar. And already that was an in- incredible mess. So, so let's see what happens. But uh, hey, you, ha- you have to be positive. You have to be optimistic. Yeah, I think I, you know, I'm not going to go into a different direction for time's sake. What I will add is that for someone who studies history and politics, you can't underestimate charisma and cult of personality and those type of things, not only when it comes to politics and winning elections, but when it comes to the financial success of those regimes, if you will. So I, I do want to say that I continue to be, and this is, again, not just because I work for the club sometimes with Twitch, but I continue to be optimistic. And even the decisions that made me vehemently disgusted, as I said at the start of this, uh, last on Monday, that, you know, it was my birthday and I woke up to Garcia Pimienta news and my wife said, all right, enough Twitter for the day because she watched my face. I was awake for five minutes. And then, you know, my wife comes in and says, hey, it's milestone birthday. Happy birthday. And my face is, oh, Garcia Pimienta (laughs) is gone. and I feel sad. And so even that with that news, the way I ingested it differently now with Laporta that I would have last time is that now now restructuring all of the academy for better or worse. But what that means is now I have to make sure that I give this regime six to eight months to a year to two to figure out what the game plan is. Because there were definitely issues with the academy under Bartomeu's regime. Um, and Garcia Pimienta for me was one of the positives that stood out in what was a negative time and a turbulent time. So if you're going to get rid of Garcia Pimienta, that means that this is there's some big ideas going on. There's something that has to be going on, and it, it wasn't just some quick throwaway thing. That said, two, three years from now, I'd like to revisit it. And yeah. the optimism, I think, is going to last for a little bit of time so that I can just give this an opportunity. And I, I think, again, that's what 100 days, that's what a new regime means. But also the the way that he left. So by all accounts, just two weeks before, uh, he, he was involved and part of the plans and he was told that he would continue. And then all of a sudden he gets just a phone call saying, hey, that's it, you're fired today. For somebody who has been at the club for 19 years, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not the way that I expect Laporta to handle things. That is very much how I expect Bartomeu to handle things. Right. Because we all know that the way that Bartomeu handled players or staff, um, he was too much of a coward to actually sit down with them and tell them good or bad news. Um, he, he didn't have any charisma. That's why he ended up paying all these horrible, horrible salaries. Because that's the only way that he could convince people. Uh, whereas I would have expected from, from Laporta, if he lets Pimienta go, which I do not agree with, which nobody agrees with, to, to do so in a better way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the place we leave it. There's still, with this offseason, just like with the first team, there's still plenty to be flushed out. We didn't even have time to get to the Luis Cortez and Barca Femini news. I think there's more to that story to come out. Uh, the one little thing I'll say, uh, as, as I do this intro, I mean, the outro, as, as we end the show, is that, uh, yeah, I mean, the players seem to be burnt out from... I talked about for a long time, the intensity in training that it took to win the treble, to make the jump up from a team that got absolutely lambasted in 2019 by Lyon and to become uh, a team that was worthy of the treble and to win and and to to take on all takers and to dominate uh, all sides in the way that they did this season, that takes a lot out of players. That takes a lot physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, And it doesn't mean Luis Cortez is out. He might be out by the time you have this in your ears, but it just sounds like both sides, that being the players and the manager, want to reevaluate how they, they run things. And a lot of times winning does that. And that's what I'll, that's where I'll leave it. So Levon, I think your first La Ronda, I think you handled it just fine. I, I think I, I have no more. I, my only question for you, my, my final listener question is, how do you think you did in your first La Ronda? Well, we already finished. <laughs> yeah. So that means listeners that uh, Levon, I think we're ready to do this again sometime soon. So get uh, keep thinking over the next few weeks and months about what those questions be. We're going to be talking about the expectations for the new season and all that stuff in uh, in coming weeks as we get ready. Now we're less than a month before preseason. So I know the last season just ended, but there's a new one coming. And uh, until then, though, we want to thank you for listening to another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Reminder, these came from our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Just answer the questions. We'll let you in the group so you can ask these questions here. 
We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. You also find him uh, at Barcelona. I mean, hard to miss on Barcelona Twitter. An important <laughs> member of the community is Levon, of course. And then we have a Patreon. It helps us make these shows. Always, always appreciate it. You can also listen to these shows without the ads over there. And also a little financial incentive to support the show. Yeah, we did hear. I did have some feedback that there's some audio issues of late recently. Yes, because I'm trying to figure out what equipment is broken without buying all new equipment. But again, helping us out on Patreon is helpful to me in case I do need to buy new equipment that it doesn't feel so bad to do that. And then we're also on YouTube with the, the match reviews, some other specialty content over there at the Barcelona Podcast. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and force the Barca. Isca la Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.